Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, if you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 31, we'll get ready to start here. Okay, Father, thank you so much. Thank you, first of all, that we can call you Father. Lord, it's so good to know you as an adopted son. And now, Lord, as your adopted children here, we pray that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 31, verse 1. And he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it's not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And you know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. If he said thus, the ring strake shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring strake. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given it to me, given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out of this from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. Rachel and Leah answered, said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do." Okay, so this section, in this section here, we start in our last chapter, where which really began in, in chapter 25 and 26, uh, sorry, chapter 30, verses 25 and 26, where it said that right after, you remember, Rachel had Joseph, that Jacob said to, that was at that point where Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I may go into my own place and my children. And he said, give me my, my wages, I'm uh, sorry, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go. That was his words, let me go. For thou knowest my service which I have done thee. See, those three words which Jacob said could really be a title for this whole section which started back there in Genesis 30, verse 25, let me go. See, this is a section about let me go. 
Jacob has made his mind up and he's resolved he's going to leave. He's going to leave Laban. He's been there many years. He's been cheated enough and he has, and he's got nothing except for four wives and 11 sons, at least one daughter. But with the birth of his 11th son, Joseph, he, something happened to him. He feels it's time to leave. And at, this, at that point in chapter 30 there, God had not spoken to Jacob. But Jacob has this intense desire to leave. And so the cry of his heart is, let me go. But what we see was that it wasn't easy for Jacob to leave. For one thing, Laban has so designed to keep Jacob there by making sure that Jacob has nothing to support his family and that he would have nothing to support his family, so he would be forever in the service of Laban. That was Laban's intention. So when we, we see Jacob saying to Laban in, in chapter 30, verse 26, let me go, see, we have to understand that this is the cry of a desperate man who really cannot go because where's he going to go? Out in the desert with nothing? And so in that sense, Jacob says, let me go. Jacob is just like his future descendants, the children of Israel, when they're in Egypt, and they're also going to cry out this, let me go. And, and as a matter of fact, in Exodus, when it starts off there in Exodus 2, verse 23, it, it says, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. They cried. Their cry came up under God by reason of the bondage. So just as Jacob's descendants in Egypt, is gonna, they're going to breathe out this let me go sigh, but they'll have no way to leave. There'll be no way for them to leave. Just as Jacob breathes out his let me go words, plea really to Laban, he's got no way to leave. But the let me go cry of the Jewish people in Egypt, it came up to God and then God took that cry, he took that cry as his own and he put it in the mouth of Moses when Moses went to stand before Pharaoh in Exodus 5.1 where we read that afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me, and so forth. So then the Jewish people sighed, let me go, and God says, let my people go. And now Jacob pleads to Laban, let me go, and now God is saying, in essence, let my son Jacob go. And when we see this let me go scene here of Jacob pleading with Laban without being able to, to go, except for God's help, we see the situation of every lost sinner who realizes that he's just like Jacob, he's just like the children of Israel, Jacob's descendants in Egypt, crying out, let me go. See, the lost sinner realizes he's in bondage to his own sins. He's held in bondage there, and he's in a state of hopelessness. He's in a state of despair. But the only reason Jacob was able to leave Laban, and the only reason the Jewish people were able to leave Egypt was because God brought them out. And the only reason a lost sinner can be freed from his sins, his own personal sins, is because God brings them out. And that's what we're seeing in this section here, is God bringing Jacob out from under Laban's iron hand. And, so, and this is the history. So this is the history of Jacob's resolve without his ability to do it alone. His resolve to want to leave Laban and Laban's resistance to let Jacob go and God fighting for Jacob to free him from Laban. And we've seen how Jacob has, he's agreed to work for Laban for these six more years if Laban will agree 
to give Jacob all the odd-colored animals, the sheep and the goats. And Laban jumped on that. We saw that. He jumped on that offer as he figured out, oh, here we go. This is great. This is just terrific. He'll have nothing again after six years. He'll be forced to continue to work for me again for nothing. And, but God turned the tables and miraculously made Jacob's proposal to work. It worked in Jacob's favor by a miracle. And Jacob became rich. And we saw in verse 1 of this chapter, in verse one, uh, chapter 31, verse 1, it says, Jacob, he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob had taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. See, here, here Laban's sons are making a, a very cruel, false, hurtful accusation that Jacob has stolen from Laban all of Laban's wealth. That's what they're saying. And when it says that Jacob heard these words in verse 1 there, of Laban's sons, we got to ask ourselves the question, they, how did he hear? How was Jacob able to hear those words in Laban's sons? They were three days' journey apart from each other. How did he hear? We've got to assume that Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons because Laban's sons wanted Jacob to hear those words, which means that Laban's sons wanted to distress Jacob. They wanted to trouble him. They wanted to irritate him. They were against Jacob. Laban's sons were against Jacob. Laban's sons hated Jacob because Laban's sons envied Jacob. And God had just blessed Jacob. And as a result, Laban's sons hated Jacob. See, heaven has just blessed Jacob. Eh? Heaven has blessed Jacob. And Laban's sons hate Jacob. Isn't that a picture? Isn't that a picture of how things work? Hell curses the person that heaven blesses. And we see it here. We can expect it. We can, we can always expect that hell will curse the person that heaven blesses. But we also see the short-sightedness of Laban's sons here because they envy Jacob. Why? Because they see all the goats and the sheep that he got. And they think, oh, we envy him for his wealth. What kind of wealth is that? It's the wealth on earth. But that's not the greatest wealth that Jacob has. Jacob's greatest wealth is the presence of God. So the presence of God is the greatest wealth that he has. But Laban's sons, they don't envy Jacob because of the presence of God. Laban's sons envy Jacob because he has worldly wealth, which shows us men overvalue worldly wealth. They don't see any value in the presence of God. For men today, outside of the Lord, the presence of God is like, so what? That's good for him. I'm not interested. It's very interesting to look at this scene because in verse 1, when we look here, we get these characters on the, on the stage here at verse 1. We have Laban's sons and we have Jacob. That's what we have here in verse 1. This is the scene. It's really a scene. If you step back and you say, okay, here's verse 1. I see the stage. There's Jacob and there's Laban's sons. What title am I going to put on that scene? You have to put the title of No Peace. And that's No Peace, right? In this scene, we see godly Jacob and godless sons of Laban. And when the godless sons of Laban saw the godly Jacob being blessed by God, they realized they had no peace with God. And the more the godless sons of Laban realized that they had no peace with God, the more they realized that they had no peace with God. 
and that Jacob had peace with God, the more this godless sons of Laban had no peace with godly Jacob. See, the more they realized that Jacob's got peace with God, I don't have peace with God, then they made it so they didn't have any peace with Jacob. See, verse 1 is really interesting because there are these new characters. Who's ever seen these sons of Laban before? I thought this was all about Laban and his daughters and all these other different characters. But we never saw Laban's sons here. We've not seen them before. And so now all of a sudden they appear in verse 1. We have no clue where they stood in all this. We don't know. I mean, Jacob might have said about Laban's family, you know, I've got no real trouble with Laban's family. I mean, the only trouble I have is with Laban. I mean, I've got no trouble with Laban's daughters. As a matter of fact, they became my wives. <laughs> well, he did have some trouble, but that's different. I, I only have trouble with Laban, just Laban. I don't have any trouble with Laban's wife. Wife, we never hear from her. She's not even, she doesn't even pop up here. I don't know what happened to her. Anyway, uh, the only person I have trouble with is Laban. And I really don't have any trouble with Laban's sons. I just have trouble with Laban. So for us to see Jacob not having any trouble with Laban's sons in the past, evidently, and now all of a sudden he's got trouble with Laban. So that's surprising. It's surprising for us to see Jacob now having trouble with Laban's sons. And he could say, you know, I only have trouble with Laban. How come I now have trouble with Laban's sons? And we can go through life and say, I don't have trouble with this godless person, and I don't have trouble with that godless person. But what verse 1 is teaching us is just wait. Just wait. Because the more the godless see that they have no peace with God, and that you have peace with God, the more the godless will not have peace with you. And that's what we see in verse 1. Now, Jacob wanted to find out if Laban now openly hates him. So he, he goes through the face test, and that's verse two, two, 2. And Jacob beheld the countenance, the face of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. See, in the past, Laban was inwardly against Jacob, but outwardly, Laban was for Jacob, because you know, Jacob was given him free labor. But now, Jacob looks into the face of Laban, and now he sees that Laban is now outwardly against Jacob. What changed? What changed? And then Jacob could ask that question. What changed? What, what happened? Again, it was the blessing of God that caused Laban to now hate Jacob. The blessing of God that caused Laban to now hate Jacob. Before, when Jacob was under the heel of Laban and Jacob had no outward blessing, then Laban did not hate Jacob outwardly, but with the outward blessing of God, now Laban hates Jacob. What's that a picture of? What's that a picture of here? It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he openly, in front of everyone, he healed the blind, he healed the lame, what happened? It says in Matthew 21, Matthew 21, 14. Matthew 21, 14 says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Next verse says, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the Son of God. They were sore displeased. Why were they sore displeased? Because God's blessing was on him. 
And then we read what happened when many people came to him. Multitudes came to him, like on the Sermon on the Mount, and they came to him in the temple, and it says that, to hear his teaching. It says in Luke 19, 47, Luke 19, 47, it says, and he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. They sought to kill him. Why? Verse 48, could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. See, it was when all the people were very attentive to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. When they pressed upon him and he was teaching them, that's when they wanted to kill him. When the blessings of God came, then came the hatred. And so Laban, Laban of all people, who is Jacob's own uncle, his own uncle, now has become Jacob's greatest enemy. He's become his, he's become, his uncle has become his greatest persecutor. And people from the region around there, they might have stood there and said, what's with this? Why does Jacob's own uncle hate Jacob so much? I mean, why are Jacob's greatest enemies, Laban and his sons, why are his greatest enemies coming from his own family? And in that picture, when those questions, we see Pilate speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ in John 18, John 18, 35. See, because John 18, 35, Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? See, it was as if Pilate were asking, why are your own people delivering you to me to put you to death? I mean, Pilate looked at the hatred against the Lord Jesus Christ by his own people. And Pilate was amazed and he wondered and he said, what hast thou done? Pilate told the people in John 19, verse 6, John 19, 6, when the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. See, Pilate really did not know why they hated him so much. So that's why he asked them in John 18, 35, What hast thou done? What hast thou done? And the answer for why there was all this hatred against the Lord Jesus by his own people that's given to us in John 15, 25. In John 15, 25, it says, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. There was no cause for that hatred. They hated me without a cause. Same for Jacob. Now, at the end of verse two, we can see that Jacob is in a terrible situation because now he sees open hatred on Laban, and he's been falsely accused of stealing everything he has. And at this point, he's really in danger of being crushed. I mean, Jacob is in danger of being crushed because here these are against him and, and they hate him. There's this outward hatred now. And so what is Jacob going to do? I mean, he's got, he's got Laban and Laban's family now openly hate him. He's been labeled and branded as a thief that has stole everything from Laban. I mean, what's he going to do? It's a real ter- terrible situation by, coming, by the time you come to the end of verse 2. And out of this terrible situation, all this terrible hatred, all this darkness that's, that's around Jacob, God steps in and he speaks to Jacob in verse 3. Verse 3, the Lord said unto Jacob, return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and I'll be with thee. We cannot underestimate the great help that verse 3 represents. We cannot underestimate the great help this was for Jacob to finally, 
After 20 years, hear God speak directly to him in verse 3. Because up until this point, the last time Jacob heard from God was 20 years ago, back uh, before he even got to Laban's house when he was in Bethel. And so Jacob, he's had this strong, strange, but a strong urge to leave, to leave Laban. But God didn't tell Jacob to leave at this point, until this point. And maybe, just maybe, Jacob was wondering if it was a good move for him to announce to Laban that he wanted to leave because all the hatred started over. Maybe Jacob sort of second thought himself, said, maybe I shouldn't have left. Maybe I, I could have you know, gotten all the wealth and slowly and you know, just kind of incorporated in here or something like that. And if that was true, if that's true, if he was wondering that, then it was just at the right time that God stepped in and said, nope, I'm confirming to you, Jacob, with a command for you to leave. That's precious of God to do that, isn't that? That's really nice. It shows how God was just carefully monitoring the whole situation, everything that was happening, staying in the background, behind the scenes, and then when he says, oh, I got to go out, I got to step out, just at that point, just when Jacob needed him most, Jesus was there to comfort and cheer. Verse 3. Verse 3 is a great encouragement. It's a great encouragement for us to call on God. And so when the Bible uses this term, the God of Jacob, it's got body to it. It's got depth to it. It's got real meaning to that, that name, the God of Jacob. Because when you say the God of Jacob, you can call back to remembrance, verse 3 here, and say, I mean the God who monitors really bad situations and then steps in at the right time with, with comfort and cheer. That's verse 3. That's the God of Jacob. He monitors our trials. And, and so you ask yourself the question, when you pray, when was the last time you ever called on God's name as the God of Jacob? I mean, you say, Lord, God, Lord Jesus. But when did you ever use that term? The God of Jacob. Oh, God of Jacob. That's what you do. And you bring this passage down. So in verse 3, God's great command to Jacob is one word, return, return. God called on Jacob to return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred. Now, at this point, Jacob might have thought, return? (laughs) That's what I've been trying to do, and look where it got me. Look where I am. I've been trying to get out of here for years, and I've not been able to. How am I supposed to return? You say return. That's what I've been doing. And God gave Jacob his answer for how he was going to be able to return at the end of verse 3, which was simply, I will be with thee, and I will be with thee. That simple statement said everything to Jacob. It said everything to Jacob that he needed to know on how he was going to be able to leave. How he's going to be able to leave Laban, who hated him, and return home. See, the first part of verse 3 is God's great command, return. The last part of verse 3 is God's great promise, I will be with thee. See, God's great promise of I will be with thee was how Jacob was going to be able to obey God's great command of return. Now, as Jacob heard God's great command of return, What did Jacob have to have in order to return to Canaan? At this point, there stood in Jacob's way several obstacles. I was thinking of three, at least, of him being able to return to Canaan. What were they? You tell me, what were they? What did Jacob have to have in order to return to Canaan at this point? Say it again. His face to God. Okay, he had to have a relationship. That's actually true. I mean, no, that is true. But I mean, uh, that's what he said. He, he said, I'll be with you. So he had to have the face of God right in his view to do it. Okay, very good. What else? 
What was standing in Jacob's way? That's the ultimate thing. What's standing in Jacob's way for him to be able to return to Canaan? What? His brother. He's got to have protection from his kid brother, uh, Esau. Only probably not his kid brother, but anyways, his brother Esau. He's got to have protection from Esau. What else? He's got to have protection from Laban. He's got to have protection. Those are the two big ones, right? Protection from Esau, protection from Laban and his sons. And what's another one? Actually, this passage is dealing with it. He's got to have the agreement of his wives. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Jewish Bible teacher Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, invites you to a Seder and Passover dinner at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Cost is $25 for D.Z. Aiken's food, fellowship, and a Passover Seder message from Tom Cantor. It's Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or go online to creationsd.org, creationsd.org.